Oryx ascends from the netherworld. The knights like hot stone, the beasts like scarred bone, walk at his side. Who walked in front of him, his daughters, with truth between them. Who walks at his side, his priest of worms, whose tribute tasted like an egg. Who walked behind him, Golgoroth who festered. Who walked within him, the satiated worm. It was hungry, but it was fed. They preceded him, these one surrounded oryx. They were beings who know no rest or doubt, who eat nor shed any flesh, who drink no clear poison, who take away the weakness from the weak, whose violence is tithed to oryx so that he may devour without being devoured. Welcome, Guardians. It's February 7th, 2016, and you're listening to Ghost Stories, a Destiny podcast. This is episode 13, and we are getting back into the Book of Sorrows for the third installment. No, books, what? the Books, books of, of Sorrow. Sorrow. God dang it. Well, I guess that one's not going to get cut out. Thanks, Gavel. Um, books of Sorrow. I was just, I wasn't even reading. I was just rolling with it. I was just so excited to be back on the podcast. I didn't even get to, I wasn't even on the second part of this one, so... I was a little disappointed, but I had a baby, so, you know, I couldn't really, really be here. Um, hey, that's something we're going to talk about in this episode, too. Oh, what? Okay, well, I... Not your, not your baby. Oh, thank goodness, because I was not prepared. <laughs> I was getting nervous for a second. Um, so, this is a continuation of our deep dive into the books of sorrow, and uh, we are going to... Wait, oh, yeah, man, I was looking... Episode four. It's been that long it's been since that we long. started this. Holy cow. Sorry, listeners. Jeez. I know. I was wondering why everyone always asks for the next part. And I guess it's because it's been like two months. So hopefully this will finish it up for us um, for now. Uh, let us get into some other topics, too, because we're excited. There's so much fun stuff. And hopefully next week we'll have some Crimson Doubles info. So uh, by the time you hear this, it should be out. Um, and I, I, will, a, I will judge the, su- the success of that event on how many Grimmer cards are added. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of our thing now is is if it's got Grimoire, it's awesome. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, uh, let's talk about who's with us here today. We have Beta Chieftain. What's up? Not much. I, I'm kind of sad to say I think I only played Destiny like one night this week, but I at least worked on my linked friends, whatever it's called, quest. So that was fun. So. Yeah, I got that done this week, uh, too, on PS4. I jumped on there and started leveling up a guy, and I am at about 2.30 light. I have ran into some old buddies, and they wanted me to, to try to play. So they're planning a raid on Thursday, and they're like, you got to get raid ready by Thursday. I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a lot of time, but I will try. So I'm working on that. Uh, we also have with us today 
uh drop slash yeah what's going on man uh not much i had awesome drops in the raid again this week so now i have all my exotic swords up to 320 which is oh man nice (laughs) uh i mean i've just been rolling off being light level 320 has just been so awesome i feel like i can sort of take my time and explore things a little bit more now there's not that that drive to find that one piece that I need to get there. I can, I can take things a little bit slower now. So I've had a good time playing. See, I thought last episode you're like, Oh, I can take my time now because I got my three twenty ghost. But, uh, now you're just, you're going to say that every week. I'm like, oh, I've got, I've got every piece of gear three twenty now. So I'm, I guess I can relax. <laughs> <laughs> and well, oh, go ahead. The big thing for, for hitting three twenty is that, you know, on the road there, I never, sort of compromised to get it uh so all the gear that i have at 320 is the best gear that i always play with it wasn't like a good example is like if my ghost is my dread explorer ghost like when i got the 320 ghost i didn't immediately equip it i immediately infused it into my dread explorer because i want that to be my ghost right right uh so the weapons that i use the armor that i use i want the stuff that i play with every day to be 320 not just 320 for the sake of being 320 elitist like like me and my <laughs> my 320 racers helmet <laughs> yeah and I, well, i'm I, rocking the batman ears with my racers helmet because it's my only 320 and that voice there was uh our special guest special guest <laughs> oh brother uh scooby deezy what's going on hey brother? how's it going i am good it's been uh a busy time of moving to a new house and sick all and off and lots of stuff going on here but i'm happy to be here finally again it's been too long we have missed you very much so we're we glad have. you're back all right let's uh let's get this thing going our uh our contest is over. Um, fan chat is booming. If you want to join that, shoot us an email at destinyghoststories at gmail.com and you can jump in and chat with other listeners and uh, us uh, along with uh, just anybody else who decides to, to stop in. It's, it's pretty fun. It stays really active. Uh, I was, we've got actually quite a few people from the UK. So it's like we go to sleep and I wake up and you wake up to hundreds of messages sometimes and it's, it's pretty crazy. So it's, it's nice to always have content there and stuff to read and, and it's, it's a, it's a good time. So if you're interested at all, shoot us an email and, and join us, please. Um, we are also doing pretty good since our little, uh, community focus from, from Bungie. Thanks again, Cosmo for that. We've had, uh, quite an influx of listeners who have found us through there and, and through suggestions from friends that found us through there. And it just kind of, it keeps escalating. So, uh, so thanks. And if you're a, a new listener, like we've said before, we started off a little rough, but, uh, we've, we've gotten our audio hopefully in check and we'd love to hear some feedback. You can leave us uh, a review on iTunes, or you can just send us a message on Twitter, email us, Facebook, uh, all the links should be in the uh, show notes for this episode. So please, if you can, let us know what you like and dislike, and and we uh, we love that. And send us some questions. We uh, we were just actually talking about doing another another question episode, like we did uh, towards the, the I think the middle of December ish. We had one where we focused strictly on questions from from listeners, and and I think we're going to do that again in the near future because it was such a fun fun thing, and and actually was great to. Uh, to mention some of the people who do give us feedback. So please leave us, leave us, uh, some, some feedback if you can. Um, let's, uh, get into this ignored lore. What do we got this week? 
Uh, so this is a continuation of last week's ignored lore, where not last. We knew we had a really, we knew we had a really not last week, the last books of sorrow episode. Sorry, uh, where we had a really long show, so we we cut down to to just one of them. Uh, but we're looking at a couple of random warlock artifacts, just blue ones. More often than not, probably either get infused or or broken down. Uh, so we're going to look at the wear guilt. Uh, and the Light of Moths. So uh, the Wear Guilt, again, Warlock Artifact, says even among the Hive, all death has its cost. So it's just, and it's a weird looking gray, hivey looking thing. It looks like a, Z- a uh, xenomorph from Alien or something. Yeah, it kind of does. Oh, it does a little bit. Uh, but a Wear Guilt, also called a Wear Guild, uh, is an old English term, and it literally means man payment. Uh, So in ancient Germanic law, the amount of compensation paid by a person committing an offense to the injured party or in case of their death to the family. So uh, that, that lines up pretty well with the description here, but this also means that, and I'm not sure this refers to like infighting among the hive or the hive killing each other. Like, I'm not sure, but this is some sort of sort of, payment or compensation paid by one hive to another well, I'm to not me quite it's sure. like just looking at it i mean it also looks kind of like almost like a compressed hive that collapsed in on itself i don't really know how to describe this thing but <laughs> to me the, it's the whole um it's like with we know that you know if you can't satisfy your worm god that the worm basically just eats you and destroys you so i almost imagine like oh, yeah. it's like some hive corpse or what's left of a well, hive that, that couldn't satisfy its worm and it's got some like smoke trailing off of it too so maybe it's like a, a you know a tribute to make up for the lost tribute of the the dead hive yeah Sorry. yeah it's a weird yeah, looking it's thing weird <laughs> yeah. yeah if you well i'll put a link in the show notes but yeah jump into the armory and take a look at this thing it's uh yeah like i said it's very like xenomorphic looking very hive looking uh but yeah, again, like a, a little piece of insight into maybe how like the society of the hive that exists behind the scenes that we don't ever really get to see. Like there's an entire culture there. That's one of the things we've been diving into with the books of sorrow is examining sort of what the hive are other than like just like the mindless screaming things that charge us and we blow them up. <laughs> there's a there's a culture and a society behind them all. Uh, and the second one is light of moths. Uh, which is a little bit more interesting to me anyway, because this is something that we've talked about in the past. So it says, In the hive's ontoformic reality, this glow is the manifestation of bound dying souls. Uh, The first thing I did was look up the word ontoformic. It's not a word. (laughs) Uh, It it was (laughs) made up. strikes again. Yes. Uh, But if you break it down into the two roots... uh, it becomes a little bit more interesting depth-wise. I'm not sure if this is a reference to something we'll talk about in a minute or if it actually just has a literal meaning. Uh, so onto, O-N-T-O, we've, we've used that before, and uh, like ontopathological, uh, it comes from the word ontology, which is a branch of metaphysics that deals with sort of like the nature of being, the nature of existence. So using that as a prefix uh, sort of implies that this is this is a metaphysical object concerned with being or existence or nature. So 
what is the thing that we're talking about. So the end word, the last part of it is formic. Uh, formic has two definitions. One of them, if you're familiar with Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card, is that the formic were like the name of the alien race yeah, that, in Ender's Game. That's what immediately comes to mind for me. Uh, and they're like an insectoid hive mind race. Uh, they they are subterranean race, similar to the hive. Uh, they live like completely devoid of light. Uh, they're a trimorphic species, which you could potentially apply to somebody like Oryx, with like Arash to Oryx, King's morph, and then Oryx or Oryx to Oryx, uh, King of Shapes morph. So there's there's parallels that exist there. Uh, the other formic also means having form, like the form of something. <laughs> Yeah. So <laughs> I think that makes the most sense in this context, probably. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think the, the last term formic is another name for uh, methanoic acid, which I don't think is the reference that's being made here. Uh, but we've mentioned these, the moths in the past. Uh, if you're familiar with any of the hive structures, especially for down on the moon, looking through sort of like the temple of Crota if you notice those green crystals jutting out of everything, which we learn later aboard the Dreadnought that those are soul crystals for Hive, there's always moths around them. Uh, and I'm sure if you have run the maze, Golgoroth's maze, you know that the moths are the, the giveaway for the death pit that you cannot see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's the same also when you're running through uh, the stills in Crota's End. Uh, the moths hover around. Uh, those pits so the the moths exist sort of around soul crystals and around areas where a high likelihood of death exists uh but there's also like lots of concept art that concerns a moth-like form for the hive uh there's those huge cocoons when you enter uh in the catacombs uh when you enter through the archers line down into uh what is that circle of bones? I believe uh, there's these huge cocoons all over the walls. They make weird squishy noises when you shoot them. Uh, very sort of like moth esque things hanging on the wall. So the moths, the symbolism of moths is tied really closely to the hive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what this artifact seems to represent, or at least give us a little bit of insight to. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, the most obvious, um, parallel is you know the the crystal that crota's soul was trapped into because you know it's that's what this light is it's the the manifestation of these bound souls which is of course we've seen that before uh so right so that does it for for the ignored lore uh two two interesting and again all three artifacts i think we talked about concerning the hive were all warlock artifacts those warlocks uh, dabbling in things they barely understand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always wonder, you know, so there's a lot of potential now to add artifacts to the game that are like these great little snippets of lore, and I'm just waiting for Toland's journel to be one of them. Uh, we Hunters have the Pahanan errata. Yeah, I, I just picked that up a couple days ago. I was quite excited. It's, it's so well, like it even has like the hunter symbol on the cover of the mm-hmm. book. Like it's... There's such like great little pieces of in-game trivia, the the artifacts. So I'd like to see 
like super powerful ones added later we on. Might have to do well, I think, do an artifacts episode at some point. Sounds yeah, like. I'd love to. There's a lot of them. Yeah, I was talking to Dragon about that because uh, he had one that I'd never seen. Uh, it was a Trials of Osiris one, and then I use a warp fragment on my warlock, and he had never seen that before. So, so yeah, I'd love to to dive into those artifacts a little bit more. But for now, let's jump back into the Books of Sorrow. Yeah, so where uh, where are we at? We are starting up at verse uh, 4, I believe, right? Verse 4, yeah. <clears throat> so uh, when we last left off, we basically had Oryx taking full command of the Hive. Like, he has emerged now as the Taken King. He has sort of asserted his will and dominance over all existence of the hive, including his two sisters. Uh, and he basically laid down his laws that established this chain of, of tithing that we have, uh, in order to create an organizational structure within the hive to make sure the hive can continue to grow and become strong and feed upwards because as dominant as they were from the outside, they could very easily fall apart on the inside. So Oryx had to set up this system where they're stable now internally and then can continue this march of dominance across the stars. Uh, so that takes us to uh, <clears throat> verse 4. So I'll point this out immediately. So verse 4 is a golden amputation. The title is all lowercase. Uh, so. It's not capitalized in the books. We come across a few entries like this. Uh, I mentioned this in the past in other episodes where this could have significance. There are slight variations on the tone of some of the entries that start in all lowercase, uh, but there's no nothing that ties them all directly together, uh, as we'll see in this one, uh, which breaks the trend of the previous ones. <clears throat> So I can, I can read this first line here, or these sure. first couple lines. So it says, Wrath, behold the wrath of Oryx, coiled for 10,000 years. Behold the golden amputation, the fall of Tai Shebeth, the end of an age. And so before we go on, so 10,000 years, so is that since they like became the hive, or is that since we last saw him emerge from the deep? We do not know. I think the the implication, if his wrath has been coiled, it's you know it's ready to spring. It, it, he hasn't been un, it hasn't been unleashed in that long of a time. So that makes me think that they've been traveling across the stars for ten thousand years, and now we're you know seeing them emerge into this uh, this system with the Taishabeth. Since since I assume they left uh, Fundament, right? I mean, is that what we're we're guessing here? Yeah, or. Or even since they left, uh, I always forget their name, Forerunners, but not... <laughs> the, oh, the, the, the Ecumen. Uh, the Ecumen. The Ecumen yeah, counts. the Ecumen. Because yeah. yeah. yep. we do know they tra- They don't really have like light travel or anything. They travel pretty slowly from what we've read. So, yeah, I mean, it's po- it could be 10,000 years since they defeated the Ecumen. Anyway. Uh, also mm-hmm. worth noting here that, so the phrase, Behold the Golden Amputation... In the entry itself, Golden Amputation is capitalized, but as a title to the verse, it is not. Awesome. (laughs) 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 All right. So speaking of the Tai Shabeth, 
It says here that they beat the worlds of the Taishabeth like skull drums, and we howl in joy for our black war moons as they ram silver orbitals and gleaming starwebs where infant Taishabethi sun ravens curl and die unborn. I don't know what any of that means, but it's kind of cool, descriptive. Well, as we get further into this entry, we're going to learn about uh, who these Tai Shabethi are. Okay. Uh, the the thing that point sticks out to me here is gleaming star webs. Uh, not to take it back to another warlock artifact, uh, <laughs> but there's a warlock artifact called the Numinous Web, which is a web spun from the flayed and frozen light of guardians. Uh, but mm. for some reason, gleaming star webs reminds me of that. I don't think they have any relation in in this case. Maybe. I mean, if you can weave a web with light, clearly stars give off light. So, you know, there might be some loose connection there. But And we actually get, as this card continues, uh, we're going to learn some amazing things about the Taisha Beth. And we're going to learn about, like, the serious power that Oryx is now wielding. Okay. So it says, in his throne world, Oryx paces ten times. On the first pace, Krogor sends the accursed, the accursed to blight the Taishabethi worlds. You've got a comment here, Drop. Yeah, so this name doesn't appear anywhere else in the grimoire in anything. Uh, it's similar to Krugor, which is the tier one court of Oryx ogre uh, that can only be damaged by cursed thralls, but they're not at face value here. They're not the same. Uh, in the books, it's K-R-A-G-H-O-O-R, and uh, Krugor is K-R-U-G-H-O-R. So maybe, this, maybe cousins. Yeah. So this Kraghor, uh, whatever they are in the hive structure, they have the ability to send blights to worlds. We have not faced this creature yet, so for all we know, it still exists aboard the Dreadnought. And now we'll, there's there's we'll, also the possibility, and I, I just like to throw this out because um, this is something that that's been mentioned by um, the writer of a lot of these cards is everything. You know, it, we're looking at a translation of hive runes, right? So oh, there's true. always the possibility of uh, problem in translation. So you know although you're right at face value these are two different people it could just be a difference in translation from one text to the end game very true cool when something that just kind of jumped out to me in that line was it says he sends the accursed so i think that's the taken um you know he sent, sends the accursed to blight the taishabethi worlds so to me it sounds kind of like the first use of taken in battle really not just cursed thralls like a bajillion cursed thralls yeah it could be that or yeah so he could <laughs> well, be the, if, if the, he's the if fall he's a of cousin the of Krugor, was really then the, maybe it is cursed thralls but yeah in the fall of the ecumene was was when the taken were unleashed right and so, oh, so yeah, they, that's they've been used yeah. so this is this is now their their next you know into, into battle if we're thinking that this is yeah that's true taken um so yeah anyway so yeah it's cool sending the taken out so then it says on the second pace the Thai unleash their battle plates and arsenal ships to fight our moons. Um, not a ton there, but I do still like the idea that, you know, moons are the hive's main, both vehicle and weapon, which is always interesting. Yeah. Um, on the third pace, Orcs's war priest meets them in battle and he is victorious. 
He paints the void with fire. He salts the earth with ash. And that is lowercase e on the earth. It is not our earth. Yes. And it's also lowercase v on void. Yeah. So most likely just meaning space. So, yeah. But here we have the first appearance of the war priest, mm-hmm. uh, who we all know is a challenge from last week. But, uh, I, I yeah, love this guy. This guy's no joke. Yeah. I, I love how these are giving us an introduction into all the court of Oryx. You know, we're seeing the war priest. We're about to see some, some other familiar faces, possibly Krigor in the previous, you know, if based on translation, you know, we're, we're getting some yeah. insight into these people that we see in the game, which I just think is super cool. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I love this card so much. And also I love the, the, the way it's, it's written, the framing of the paces, the way it's laid out. It's, it's got such a, like a biblical weight to it. You know, I almost feel like it's scrolls being opened up and yeah. judgment being passed down as, as he paces and all these, cause these, you know, these are dramatic things that, you know, it's, it's very poetic. Well, I like that prior to this, you know, we talked about the hive losing faith in the power structure of the hive itself and Oryx struggling to maintain power and infighting and like the they get pushed back so much by the ecumen and they're they're struggling and then he reemerges now as Oryx and says here's how it will be and now in ten paces he's going to destroy a civilization yeah and like and just with he's gone from, with the whole- like he's really become like this true king where conquering is what he does and he makes sort of like no bones about it yeah with the whole kind of losing faith in the hive or whatever it is interesting that now i haven't looked at the other lowercase ones to see but this this card very much has the feel of almost like a priest you know kind of reading off Mm -hmm. um, the the events the judgments of orcs so then we have the fourth pace so on the fourth pace, Mengor and Krog, Dyad Knights, go to the Raven Bridge, and they stand on it and kill the tie for ten years. Uh, so we know we know Mengor and Krog, they're the, the two knights uh, that need to be close. They have invincible shields until they're close to each other. They're a court of oryx. Uh, and there's actually an ent- the entry for them outlines exactly why they are cursed by orcs which is actually pretty cool uh and their entry like their card is uh sterile mengor simple krog you tithe strength to each other like comrades but when you pulled down the gift mast dyad bound the teething did not reach me i punish you i pronounce two curses and thus let one of you be the lesson this shape is strength this shape endures i will arm you with fire let the let one of you be the learner. Learn the shape and the direction of strength. Tie both sides of your blade to me. I am Oryx, not bound by law. I pronounce a third curse. Let separation rule you. Let companionship be your ruin. So that's interesting. So, so at this point, they're not cursed yet because the gift mast hasn't happened yet. Right? Right. So they're, they're actually just a pair of knights right now who have not fallen into what we're accustomed to seeing them as yeah yeah getting a little too confident in their abilities <laughs> i love how all these descriptions of the uh the bosses from the court really describe or, or kind of allude to how you have to defeat them in in game i think yes. that's such an awesome awesome way to write and uh such a cool move and if if you uh don't know what we're talking about go read those cards we're kind of going over them now but uh but yeah, I mean, so obviously, 
you know, when they get close together, companionship is what, uh, what allows you to damage them. So it's, it's just so neat. And as soon as I, as soon as I discovered that in the grimoire, I'm like, oh my gosh, I gotta go read all the rest of these. <laughs> and sure enough, it does. I mean, it's, it's, it's so great. So this next one is interesting. So on the third and fourth pace here, we have, um, you know, it, this is a battle going back and forth. So these are clearly high victories on the third pace and the fourth pace. The fifth pace, we have the Thai Emperor Raven comes home to her bridge and she cuts a moon with her talons. She cuts it open and kills its brood. So here's a little kind of Thai counter move. Um, to me, I'm I'm dying for concept art of this. By the way, the Thai Emperor Raven sounds so awesome, <laughs> and, and it's just interesting because and we always talk about AI, and I'm overly obsessed with them, which is why this is what comes to mind. Because <laughs> um, you know, Rasputin always talks about kind of his knives, and so it makes me wonder, you know, like Thai, you know, Emperor Raven, but with her talons, and it's like, okay, so either she's a super being, kind of like Oryx, who literally cut the moon. Or, you know, is it, are the talons some type of kind of, you know, weapon, knife-like weapon similar to the Aurora knives or all the other cardiometric weapons that, you know, See, I always thought, I always thought when, sorry, when Rasputin talks about his knives, isn't he, isn't that kind of a metaphor though for, yeah, yeah the yeah. Aurora knives. I think right, right. And, and so that's what I mean. So I guess, yeah, what I'm saying is I immediately start thinking, you know, what's this a metaphor? Is this really yeah, literal gotcha. or is this no a metaphor? Way. I imagine a giant... <laughs> <laughs> raven priestess with razor sharp talons just like flies over to one of the moons and tears it apart she's like how dare you attack me yeah well, this this race is so interesting because you know we've before we've got this description of these star webs where the infant tie are presumably born uh you know so we've got these are basically sp- giant space ravens which is pretty cool to think about yeah i think that's all i'm like i'm dying for concept art of them so then on the fifth and a half pace, <laughs> the handsome dragon showed up. In the chat. Hi, guys. Now let's see if his mic's unmuted. <laughs> oh, there he is. What's up, buddy? How's it going? I'm going to jump in here and interrupt everything. So We're only missing like yeah, one guy. I know, I know. That's okay. He can just insert himself when he edits the episode. <laughs> yeah, saying <laughs> same, same platypus or whatever. Yeah. I just put like a witty, snarky comment after something. Uh, all right, so on the sixth pace, uh, Oryx speaks, saying, Listen to me, Emperor Raven, and I will describe to you the last true shape, which is written on my tablet. And he puts out his fist full of black fire, and he swallows up the Emperor Raven with a wound. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so no matter how powerful this Thai Emperor Raven was, she just got taken. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or took. So I guess that begs the question of when we're going to fight emperor white raven well yeah so this is something that uh was brought up in our fan chat uh we'll finish this card i'll just mention it where there's a power vacuum aboard the dreadnought right now and somebody was saying oh well you know without oryx who can step in there and the dreadnought is enormous and we have not encountered a lot of what it could potentially hold and we're getting described right here in the books these amazingly powerful creatures that we have not come across yet. So there's a lot more to be found and to be had out there. Very true. This is slightly off topic, but it's a question I have that I've kind of been wondering. 
So with orcs and the Taken, obviously there's the blights, you know, that show up on Earth and in game. Are I mean, does orcs have to kind of create those blights himself to allow the Taken to pass through? I'm just wondering because we were talking about power vacuums and you know the Taken still exist, but now they don't have oryx. Is it the kind of thing where they can kind of pass into our world at whim, or does there have to be some being that you know creates the blights? Because reading earlier well, like, in this card, it seemed like the blights kind of had to be you know created by a general type figure. That's a question we don't have an answer to, though. You know, if the Taken, the only reason a Taken can exist is because the being they were previously had their will sort of superseded by Oryx. Uh, without Oryx to do that, can a Taken still exist? Like, without his sort of omnipresent will overriding the original host, do they still exist? Well, isn't, wasn't that addressed a little bit with the um, the Vault of Glass behind you know the the, the you know the kind of willless oh, vex yeah, that you know that the taken vex were would have a will that they didn't even understand and couldn't follow because there was no one to 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 lead them on you know um i, I think the they would still exist as taken but you know almost uh, maybe in a um i don't know like a, like a limbo state. yeah yeah but certainly reduces their threat i i would guess but but i think that the i think the blights do rely on at least an echo of oryx because in the game you know every time we we kill an echo is when the the taken blights subside on a planet or in an area so i think he is pretty essential to their ability to at least invade or kind of overtake an area so um yeah and and yeah, i understand in game mechanics cuz you know it'd be hard to just literally end the game once you beat the raid so there's no kind of definitive in game to really go off of either well there's that there's that massive massive blight that's undestroyable at the very top of the vex spire now uh where you fight skolas because uh, you have to fight a sh- uh yeah, echo, echo of oryx up there and that thing's enormous, and it does not go away when you kill that echo. And if you look up there, you can see them continuing upwards, like there's blights everywhere. Uh, hmm. So who knows? Like we're not we're not sure yet, sort of what the mark these things are going to leave on our world is. Yeah, Crimson Days Grimoire. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> the Taken will yeah, all get broken heart buff. <laughs> <laughs> Please no. Uh, so on the seventh pace, the perfect raven comes out of Oryx's wound and she spreads her wings across Taishabeth. Never again is a Taishabethi child born. She is perfect and she enacts the will of Oryx. Mm. Uh, so yeah, she is an obscenely powerful taken creature that we have, we don't even know what she looks like. Never mind, ever have to fight her. So And that's such a, such a demoralizing war tactic, you know, to think your emperor you know, who you look to in battle and things comes back to fight for the enemy. Yeah. So. And that's what we, that's what this, this next line is very much. So on the eighth pace, the ties say, listen, you are spoilers. You are sphincters and etc. You rot. Why do you kill? We made silver orbitals and golden star webs. We hatched eggs. We had a good thing. Our clothes were nice. Our food was famous. With one of her feathers, our emperor could have tickled the gods. Uh, I'm going to go right into this next line because I love the last line of it. Uh, on the ninth pace, Oryx says, 
This is the only God, this ability to dictate what will and will not exist, this power to go on existing. This is your God. It is never ticklish. <laughs> One of my favorite lines in the entire <laughs> Books of Sorrow. Wait, take that. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the Thai here had a great society, a great culture. And, you know, and Oryx no longer thinks twice about what he does. His, his job is to come in and supplant their will and be their god uh but and again you know i put this in the notes here for something that happens later but the line this is the only god the ability to dictate what will and will not exist we encounter this uh in an area that has nothing to do with oryx (laughs) uh this is the power the vex have specifically in the vault of glass Mm. where they have the power to decide what is real and what is not uh, so it's interesting that, so this sort of predates that, but as far as we know, uh, like did the Vex fo- start to follow that path because of their encounters with Oryx or is this just something that like this power to dictate what will and will not be real? Is that like the end goal for, for all great powers like is that like the ultimate that's the final shape right that's the the ultimate yeah i mean that's yeah if we're talking about the darkness as a as a whole as a philosophy it's you we would naturally see that across anybody who aligns with the darkness right uh just because that's it's kind of like the dark side of the force it's the same regardless of who wields it yeah so which is important to note because that means the yeah uh cabal don't care about that and the fallen don't really care about that so they're they're considered minions of the darkness but i think at this point we all know that they're not and they must be ticklish <laughs> they must be oh maybe that's how you defeat the cabal god by tickling it to death <laughs> defeat the taken Tickle. raven pluck a feather then <laughs> use it as a new equip it as an artifact in and... game of destiny 2 we just figured it out guys <laughs> Oh, can you imagine how powerful that artifact would be? <laughs> it's the final raid. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine how powerful we would be if we just uncovered that here? Yeah. <laughs> we're, no, we're now deciding what's real and what's not. Yeah. Guys, Our accounts will be deactivated tomorrow. I got the gala feather, guys. <laughs> yeah. This <clears throat> so is on the 10th pace, uh, the Taisha Bethy are extinct. Then Oryx says, listen, my siblings, do you know what we have done? We have conquered our way to the edge of the deep. It whispers to me when I call on it. It guides my flight. It says that we are at its threshold and that I should come inside. I will go and speak to it. Uh, so this is interesting because the edge of the deep, like, is this a, a location? Like, is this a place we can go to? Or have they, have they killed themselves close enough to the final shape? Uh, mm. by becoming so ruthless and so efficient and their complete domination of everything else in the galaxy. Right. Like I, I think of the phrase, you know, like driven to the edge of madness or something, you know, mm-hmm. I, I also think it's certainly possible. It could be a physical place, but yeah, in terms of the, what you were saying about kind of becoming so ruthless, I think of, yeah, that phrase and how, how it would apply here. If it is a place, it certainly would, you know exist in a different space you know it's it, yeah. it's not in our reality uh, and that takes us to a very interesting verse this is a short one uh but there's quite a bit packed into it and some of it that doesn't 
make a lot of sense so far as we know it. Uh, so we have Oryx went down into his throne world. This is verse 4-1, Battle Made Waves. And if you heard the last episode, you know what Battle Made Waves was a reference to. Uh, I'll talk about it at the end of the card. Uh, Oryx went down into his throne world. When he came out into the abyss, and with each step, he read one of his tablets, so that they became like stones beneath his feet. He went out and he created an altar, and he prepared an unborn ogre. He called on the deep, saying, I can see you in the sky. You are the waves, which are battles, and the battles are the waves. Come into this vessel I have prepared for you. And it arrived, the deep itself. Uh, that's the whole verse. And here's the things that are interesting to me. So it says, Oryx went down into his throne world, and then he went out into the abyss. So if the deep is really a different dimensional location, does that mean that there is a pathway somewhere to the deep inside the dreadnought? Uh, we know he uses the tablets of ruin to get there and come back, but does that mean we could find the tablets and like open this door and travel into the deep? Like, is that this sort of seems to say, yeah, we could. Uh, and this is barring my whole deal with the tablets, which don't actually exist on the version of Oryx that we fight, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's an interesting possibility that we see the Dreadnought as a destination, uh, but the Dreadnought could be a doorway as the story continues. Uh, and then we have, he went out and he created an altar and prepared an unborn ogre. So... Do we think that this is a reference to Golgoroth? Uh, we know in Golgoroth's cellar, there is a tablet of ruin. Uh, it's literally called the Tablet of Ruin. Uh, so that seems to be the case here. Uh, like, obviously, some, there's some weird stuff that goes on with light in Golgoroth's cellar, you know, whether it's being unclaimed or reclaimed, you know. Uh, I, I can't remember. Is he called the Unborn? There's somebody who's called the Unborn, isn't there? I don't think it's Golgoroth. No, I'll be I'll be searching. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there there's that part of it. Like again, this could very much be Golgoroth as we know it. It could not. I mean, the interesting thing here really uh, is this line about calling the deep and the deep answering, uh, which. Again, we'd have to unpack a lot of the lore of Golgoroth's cellar here. Uh, Toland is very confused about our encounter with Golgoroth. He's not sure how we were able to reclaim the spoiled light that was there. Like, how we did that is a foreign concept to him. Uh, You know, obviously, there's light is being stored down there. It's being tainted where it's being sent we don't know why the tablet is there we don't know like is is golgoroth guarding the tablet is the tablet there because that's the doorway into the deep and you need a tablet to act as that first step uh in this last line you know and it arrived the deep itself does this mean that golgoroth is a vessel of the deep uh it seems like he should be much more powerful if that is the case (laughs) So well, then I would assume I that. The, uh, oh, go, go ahead, Scooby. Well, I was just saying I would assume that it, you know, if it did come to inhabit Golgoroth or, or wherever this ogre is, 
it would be a temporary condition. Yeah. Right. So I found unborn. So we have Telthor unborn. Oh, right. Telthor is. is the ogre that protects the chamber of night. Of night, yeah. What's interesting, though, is in the Grimoire card, it says, uh, the unborn are those ogres who have yet to be given the honor of a summoning. So it's not like there's one particular unborn ogre. Um, it's just basically any ogre that hasn't, quote unquote, been given a summoning. Mm. Hmm. So that's, so, yeah, orcs yeah, took an unborn ogre similar to Telthor. And that's what he used. So, if which it could was very Golgoroth, well have been Golgoroth. Yeah, yeah, it would have been yeah. a unborn version of Golgoroth. So, and then we have: I can see you in the sky. You are the waves, which are the battles, and the battles are the waves. Uh, so, we talked about this last episode. That is di- almost directly from Marathon Infinity, <laughs> uh, which is talking about the name that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> Uh, the weird, 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 crack, cracker, uh, <laughs> and, and their description of, uh, in the primordial space, timeless creatures made waves. These waves created us and the others waves were the battles and the battles were waves. So uh, again, the reference is to unbelievably sort of like paracausal beings of darkness that exist in the world of marathon. Uh, who were trapped between or trapped beneath the surfaces of things like stars and gigantic planets, which we talked about in the last episode, somewhat referential there. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I mean, again, we have, and it's interesting where this card appears, uh, you know, why, why now he just conquered uh, the Thai race. Uh, He's going to sort of confer with the deep. Uh, Why? why summon the deep into this ogre now and not before well not before because they weren't close enough to the quote-unquote edge of the deep you know whatever conquering of the tie accomplished for them was was getting him to the point where he could go do this and why that wasn't possible before you know anybody's guess yeah okay so now we have verse four two Heavy sigh. Uh, <laughs> this card is a lot like verse uh, 2.4, 52 and 1. This card is written in a voice that is completely out of context with the entire rest of the Books of Sorrow. This is the second take their stuff card. Uh, we don't know who's speaking here. I mean, we can read through it a little bit or just read some of these lines. They make no sense. Like, is this a worm speaking? Is this, uh, is this young Arash speaking back to Oryx from somewhere deep down inside? Is this the deep speaking? I would hope that this is not the voice of the darkness. <laughs> that's that's always been my assumption is that that's what this is, and the the voice is is very intentional to kind of, you know, it's it's the same as the the plain honest worm, right? It's it's the Leviathan versus the plain worm the it's the the lure of the deep is that it's comfortable and familiar and i think that's the whole point of this voice as the darkness is it's it's the plain honest worm i mean i in in light of the previous entry where he is very specifically this i mean the lat the last line of that card is you know the deep are 
it and it arrived the deep itself like he called on the deep he he's asking something of it uh, and if this could be its arrival and it's speaking man it's just so so <laughs> out of tone <laughs> like and it it casts for me it casts like this image the darkness is not like this you know omnipresent cosmic force that knows no real good or evil it just knows its own existence and spreads as it does as is is its nature to do uh but this man these these cards are just like yeah like the the darkness is a stand-up guy he's a he's an amateur comedian like he's coming to get your worlds yeah uh (laughs) i don't know that's what it sounds like to me uh I, I totally, I totally hear that. I, I think there's something to be said with you know the the whole Lucifer is the angel of light side of the argument too, where where they're wanting this to to appear as you know the the, the I guess the the contrast is very intentional, um, yeah. To to paint that picture as this is this is familiar. This is you know as as deep and as serious as the context is the you know the voice throws you off but it i think that there's a lot of power in in that of itself and that's something i've always thought about as i read through some of these cards where it's you know we're introduced we don't really know arash before he becomes oryx before all this happens you know she's just a kid on a planet uh, you know, and she has two sisters and they run and jump and play and do hive things or proto hive things and they mess with bait stars and they throw things in the endless oceans of fundament and they skip rocks across it, chase her dad down hallways. Uh, so when the darkness is speaking to Oryx, you know, it could be speaking directly to the tiny Arash that's still in the center of him. And this is how Arash hears that voice. Like, our Arish is not Oryx, uh, and he hears language in the language of a child, uh, and that would be the easiest way to convince sort of any greater being to keep doing that. So that that could be what we're. This is more like you know Arish hearing the darkness in the language that Arish is used to. So we probably don't want to read. I don't want to read this whole card, but I do like the center paragraph. Um. I'll read it because it describes the sword logic basically. Um, so it says, Ah, Oryx, how do we explain it to them? The world is not built on the laws they love, not on friendship, but on mutual interest, not on peace, but on victory by any means. The universe is run by extinction, by extermination, by gamma ray bursts burning up a thousand garden worlds, by howling singularities eating up infant suns. And if life is to live, if anything is to survive through the end of all things, it will live not by the smile, but by the sword. Not in a soft place, but in a hard hell. Not in the rotting bog of artificial paradise, but in the cold, hard, self-verifying truth of that one ultimate arbiter, the only judge, the power that is its own metric and its own source, existence at any cost. Strip away the lies, intruses, and delaying tactics they call civilization. This is what remains, this beautiful shape. So there you go. That is what they've been saying the whole time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the last line is also interesting because it says, so, yeah, da-da-da, this beautiful shape. 
and it is what I am. So whoever is speaking is a singular being. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is interesting because you know, at the beginning of the card, there's this line that says, and they call us evil. But then the card ends with, it is what I am. So there's sort of this allusion to the plural and then this uh, allusion to the singular. Well, well, the us could also for, be for referring me, the to us means Oryx and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Oryx yeah. And. that's what I was about to say. Oryx and the speaker who is either a manifestation of or simply the darkness itself. They're now imagining that it's Oryx sitting across from a table with a Golgoroth and Golgoroth is speaking like this. Like as the vessel of the deep. If we have anyone who really strays creating comics or anything, please, <laughs> please draw that out for for draw. I want mm-hmm. I want Golgoroth wearing a big single monocle and sipping tea <laughs> and explaining this to. Well, Oryx. now it's just silly. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't before. <laughs> Not to me. <laughs> <laughs> Where but does Ben Church like? fit in all this? Yes. He's the one serving. Yeah, Fenger oh, okay. serving yeah, nice. on the side. Yeah. With a with a mask on, he's in disguise. <laughs> he's dressed he's wearing a, cro- he's he's got wearing a crota, crota mask. mask. <laughs> All right, so that moves us to verse four three. This is a this is a great card. This is sort of what I just spoke to. This is the tiny Arash that still lives inside Oryx. Uh, this is verse four three. When do monsters have dreams? Uh it's a good card. Uh, it's not too long. I'll, I'll just go through it a bit. It says, <clears throat> I'm walking down the road. I'm going to the orrery to talk to my dad. And I hear, well, I hear this noise. So I look back and my sisters are behind me and they're ripping up the road. They've got these huge swords, execution swords, and they're levering the stones out of the road. The stones are covered in writing. They're like tablets and there's dirt underneath full of worms. I need to get to the orrery before they catch up to me, so I start running, but right away someone trips me. It's my dad. He's got his foot out, and he grabs me by the horns and just slams me down on my face. I'm in so much pain that I nearly throw up a worm. Why weren't you ready for this, dad says. He's wearing glare goggles, those shiny goggles that he used to save his vision during the lightning storms or sea fire. All three of his eyes reflect at me. Didn't you know they'd be jealous? Because they couldn't come to the orrery and talk to me? Didn't you know they'd move against you? I start wailing like I'm two days old again. I say, Dad, I thought you were my friend. I'm supposed to be safe here. But then he just puts his fist out, and I realize he's laughing at me for believing him. Why did I think I'd be safe? In his fist, he's got a black sun, and he holds me by the throat and goes to to tip the black sun inside of me. I can see my jaws in his goggles, three reflections of my jaws with so many teeth. So I start eating my dad biting huge pieces out of him, and I claw him up. I eat his legs, and I eat his arms, and I eat his goggles, and I eat his eyes, and he says, good, good. This is majestic and true. But my sisters are still tearing up the road, and now I don't know how to get back. Uh, This is, I love this card. Uh, For the language it's written in, it's a little bit sort of like off-key a bit for for the books but this is an amazing throwback to everything that's happened is happening currently and will happen in the future with oryx summarized in this one card uh so obviously if you're looking at the symbolism here uh you know dad is dad dad is the osmium king uh but dad is also 
the deep in this instance. Uh, the road Oryx is walking down. This is the obvious path he's created for the Tablets of Ruin, uh, which is sort of the stones are covered in writing. Uh, so then we have this, you know, I need to get to the Ori. And an Ori is a, just a mechanical representation of the solar system. Uh, so I need to get to the Ori before they catch up. Uh, so this is like, again, the deep, the darkness is, is represented as Arash's father. Uh, and when he gets to, like, again, he gets to his dad, and this is great, so it's like, uh, he thought he was safe. So either whether it's the descent into the deep making him feel like he's safe because nobody else can do that, uh, or whether he just felt safe in his power, uh, you know, this meeting with the darkness has proven to him through the symbolism of this dream that he is not safe. He's not safe from the darkness. He's not safe from what's inside him. He's not safe from his sisters. Uh, if you consider how powerful he is at this point and just how overwhelming he can be to entire universes and civilizations, this core of doubt still exists within him and still shows him his weakness when it has to to sort of slam the message home that he's still vulnerable. Uh, so obviously the, you know, his sisters tearing up the stones behind him is Savathun and Zivu Arath uh, plotting to take the tablets of ruin. They want them. They very clearly communicate that they want them from him. They're jealous of that power. Uh, I love the line that is, I realize he's laughing at me for believing him. I, I think this is a reference to the worms. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we, again, we encountered this previously in the books of sorrow where the worms do love to sow chaos. And even when they release their agents like into the universe, they're still, they still laugh at those agents when they fail. Uh, it's less of, Hey, you're my servant. Go do this thing. It's like, you're bound to me. Now I'm just going to watch you screw up because I think it's funny. <laughs> uh, and then this line of, uh, you know, he described his father's fist as having a black sun inside it. Uh, and we know that that sort of like black light is a symbol of how Oryx takes something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this could be very much be an instance of, again, Arash represented uh, his father's the deep and this power to take. And I wonder a lot here if this is sort of Oryx afraid that he too can be taken. Uh, later on in the Books of Sorrow, Oryx very specifically states, I am not taken. Uh, but this seems to be, there's, there's doubt there. You know, he, he was given this great power, but but you know, he had to take it. You know, the deep does not give. Uh, only the sky gives. The deep takes. Uh, so as an agent of the deep, he has to take, but there's, how does he know himself that he's not taken? How does he know that his will is his own? So that's something that I believe he sort of struggles with along the way here. Uh, and then we have this classic trope. Uh, 
the so I start eating my dad. You know, this is this is very often used as like the last step to irredeemable evil. <laughs> uh, we see this all the time in all kinds of works of fiction and movies and books and, you know, spoilers for Force Awakens. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was a huge part of his transformation uh, of Kylo Ren's transformation was, you know, killing your dad. And that's why Luke would never do it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that comes up a lot. Like as that is that final step into darkness. And in this, in this particular dream, in this case, you know, Oryx does it. Uh, I think it's interesting there too, at the end, how it says you know, that, where the father says, you know, where he says, good, good. This is majestic and true. And that's almost identical to how the first before ends. Where yes, you know what we're thinking of possibly being the deep says, you know, it is majestic. Majestic is the only thing that can be true in of itself. So it's I, I kind I agree with what you're, what you're going with this kind of being him yeah. affected by the deep and kind of those thoughts just draining on him and the the size of where he's going now is kind of mm-hmm. getting the better of him a little bit. Yeah, and that's one of those things i love to always keep sometimes you can lose sight of it like if you're reading the books of sorrow start to finish you can lose sight of a few things but the you know the truth is it's like arash was just a little girl like who had two sisters and a bunch of like really you know garbage circumstances forced them to where they are now uh but that that part of himself now has never gone away like all all of oryx is just like armor worn by arash and she's still in there and she's still affected by a lot of these things there's still room for like doubt and fear and obviously you can't put that show on you know when you're leading your army but but she still exists in there yeah so there she can still be affected yeah and that's that's why i love this card and a couple others that you know they just they they paint that picture of of a rash and how vulnerable uh you know he she still is and it's it's really a and in this case it's so brilliant because it's like you said it's taking all of oryx's current fears and doubts and it's wrapping them in this shell of uh the of a rash this this history and it's painting it all in this one picture that's just really presented in a, in a pretty fantastic way yeah yeah, I, I do. I I love this card a lot. This this whole stretch, the the four verses all sort of deal with this kind of stuff, uh, and it's nice. Like you know, you know, you peek out at this like massive civilization conquering army, and then quickly, not quickly, but then you slowly you you dip back into the fact that all this, and even though this has happened over you know tens of thousands of years, it's all happened relatively quickly. Uh, you know, this massive transformation. So there's still there's there's the ramifications there's the repercussions of that like anybody who had taken on this much power this quickly would still be dealing with issues like this uh and that takes us to four four uh more beautiful to know this is also an out of sort of out of character card uh but it seems very much like this card is in the voice of arash uh and she is speaking as a separate entity from Oryx. Uh, so, and it's this is a great card too, just because it it 
sort of uh, galvanizes a lot of what we just talked about with the doubts and the dreams. Uh, and now we have this card where she's doubting herself a bit. Uh, especially this line was, I don't do much except break things. That's what they would say about me. We could have had a great civilization if it weren't for that damn Oryx, that damn hive. They don't believe in anything but death. Uh, so viewed as the viewpoint from Arash, this is sort of like viewing Oryx as a separate being, viewing the hive as a separate entity from what she is and from what she used to be. Uh, and like that, she's she's still alive in there, and she's she's doubting very much the path that they have chosen. Yeah, and it's it's a good picture of the fact that she's cognizant, or he at this point, you know, cognizant of of the choices that are being made and and the direction they're taking. You know, like she's going through, you know, everything that's that's happened, what Oryx has become, and realizing that. Yeah, it is. It's all about death. And, um, you know, ultimately she steals herself with the next line, which is the only way to make something good is to make something that can't be broken. The only way to do that is to try to break everything. So there's a rationalization happening, um, to justify their actions, but very aware that, you know, uh, the young Orish would not have approved of these actions. Yeah. Yeah. And that whole, the broken line that kind of goes along with, they're thinking of you know, whether some uh, someone is worthy to live. You know, if you're worthy to live, then you won't die when they try to kill you. Basically, yeah. So, and it's this, this next two lines even follow that up even more. So, it's, I'm glad I learned that the universe runs on death. It's more beautiful to know, but I'm lost somewhere strange. So she, and that probably that again relates back to the dream a little bit, and then sort of the reality of that is what we learn in this very next line. Uh, she literally is lost. She, yeah, she's lost. They, they, they trapped her in the deep, or trapped him in the deep at this point. Right. It says, I think that Savathun and Shivu Aroth are trying to steal the tablets from me. They must have cut off my tribute while I was away communing with the deep. So, and this is, and it's funny, you know, and this has been a theme all throughout the books that the sisters continually trying to one up and kill each other. Like in the last episode, we talked about how Oryx, how Savathun left her flank open and Oryx just sort of swept in <laughs> and decimated a huge section of her army because she should have been smarter than that. Uh, and here we have sort of Jivu and Savathun working together to trap Oryx in the deep. Yeah. Though what's interesting is, and in, I'll read this next section, it seems like Shivu, uh, if Oryx were closer to one of the two sisters, it seems like him and Shivu have a bit closer yes. relationship than Savathun, because then it says, Once long ago, I killed Shivu Arath on her war moon, and she blew up the whole moon to kill with me, to kill me with her. I think we typed that wrong. She was laughing in joy. I laughed too. A whole moon, a whole moon. It was a waste of a moon, but it taught me how to save myself from exploding worlds, which is nece- which was necessary to fight the Ekumen. I love Mighty Shivu more than a moon loves the tide. I'll kill her for this, over and over, forever and ever. When I get home from my wanderings in the deep, and I take back my throne, I'm going to have children. That's what I need, sons and daughters to love and kill. 
what's interesting to me here is, and so we're talking about them cutting him off in the deep. But it seems too like they even slightly usurped his throne in that time period. Because he says he'll yes. take back his throne. Yeah. I mean, it could have been vacant, I suppose, but. So, and he, he acknowledges, he acknowledges that there's nobody else sort of like clever or strong enough to put him through these challenges. Uh, and he considers that a gift, but at the same time, it's like, uh, I don't think I typed that wrong. Uh, just, it reads weird to kill, no, to kill with I kill, me her. No. <laughs> That's what it's. Oh yeah, I see. Oh yeah, I see. Oh, oh, kill me with her, probably. There we go. I wonder if that typo fixed it. All right, I pulled that from Ishtar, so it's it's on you, bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Was it you or Bungie? (laughs) Yeah. See, I think I think Uh, we have it highlighted here. Then an important part at the end of that is where it says sons. So plural and daughters to love and kill. You know, yeah. obviously we know Crota, and he Crota gets a lot of uh, attention even in the, the books of sorrow here. But you know, there it kind of leaves it open ended to there being more sons out there. Yeah. Well, this is the the Nocris question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, is Nocris the other son? Because uh, we know we know the daughters. Uh, your your Anuk and your Halak, uh, and we know Crota. But who's the p- potential other son? <clears throat> All right, uh, verse four five. This love is war. So this card opens up again. We have a card that is not necessarily Oryx himself speaking. Uh, it's not the dark side of rash. It's this, you know, Jivu upon Oryx, uttered by Jivu Arath. So the idea, I think, is that this card, and this card is very similar to Jivu Arath's other card, uh, the way it's laid out, is this is uh, Jivu speaking. These are the words of Jivu Arath. Yep. And it basically confirms everything that Oryx has, or everything that's been alluded to up to this point. Uh, so it starts off with betrayal. We have marooned Oryx within the deep. This is our obligation as lords of the hive to make war upon each other, to eradicate weakness and make ourselves sharp. So they did. Shivu and Savathun teamed up, betrayed Oryx, trapped him in the deep. Uh, obligations. Once I permitted Oryx to kill me so that he could gain the sword logic and overcome Akka, our god. This left me trapped deep in my throne. But Oryx, my brother, made war upon the Ecumen, and in that war he described me, for I too am war. Thus I was resurrected. Uh, and I wonder if this is that term, the golden resurrection. Uh, and this also breaks, you know, a bit of what we know about uh killing ascendant hive in their throne worlds like we're always led to believe that by killing an ascendant hive in their throne world uh they're gone they're gone for good uh but in this case i I guess we don't know that it was that jiva was killed in her throne world maybe she was just killed somewhere and was trapped in her throne uh but oryx is able to bring her back with a description well, when that happened, uh, they were definitely, they were within Oryx's throne world, weren't they? Yes, yeah. they all met there. Yeah. A, loop, a uh, loophole. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
resurrection, Savathun and I conspired to strand Oryx on his expedition, but I secretly believe that I will be stronger with Oryx to war against. Thus, I describe him. So this is interesting. Again, Jivu Arath acting a bit out of character for what we know these beings to be. We talked about this in the last episode where Jivu Arath gave Oryx the gift of her death. And it's very clearly stated that the, you know, the darkness does not give, it only takes. Uh, and we know Savathun tried to betray Oryx when he did that, so Oryx legitimately took the death of Savathun, but he was given the death of Jivu. So Jivu seems to have a slightly wider understanding of a lot of the goings-on, and whether that's a deeper knowledge of the sword logic or just a deeper knowledge of the way things operate, uh, she is again going to give him a gift here by describing him. Well, and and what I never noticed before and um just this moment in reading this is the implication here is that it's actually uh Zivu who brings Oryx back from being lost in the deep, you know, like she's she's returning the favor. He he revived her by describing war. And now he's lost in the deep, but she wants him to war against. So she's describing him just as he described her in order to bring him back, which is something I'd, I really never noticed before, but it's very clear. So, so Jivu, Jivu operates, it seems, slightly differently from what we'd, we would imagine this being to. So Jivu, in this card, Jivu goes on to describe Oryx. Uh, there's some great descriptions here. Uh, I don't know. I don't think we have to read all of them. Uh, it's interesting. It says, upon his crest, I have painted a line in my blood so that he will remember me. Uh, I guess I need to take a closer look at Oryx's head to see if that line exists. I've, I've tried to look. I've, I've never noticed. So, no line, no tablets of ruin. Did we actually really fight Oryx? That's the question. Well, well even, even the line before that's pretty interesting. We're in describing the size of Oryx's skull and being as long as an arm. And then you know, in the course of its life, a thought moves from one end to the other. It's describing a quite a large, large body at this point. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I love it. Although he was born at the bottom of the universe and taught to burrow, Oryx has grown wings. The light of wildfire shines through them. Oryx teaches, but he will not be taught. Uh, raiment of worm silk made from the call of the gods. Uh, this is one of my favorite lines here. Uh, the voice of Oryx may cause two different numbers to become equal. <laughs> I think that that speaks volumes about the paracausal powers of sort of Oryx and his ability to to defy, you know, anything to define existence and to subsume wills. Like he he knows no causal bounds. Mm-hmm. and and you know these last lines here jivu believes in the power of oryx you know uh oryx my brother is the bravest thing i know upon fundament he learned that we were the natural prey of the universe the most frail and desperate of things he thought about this carefully and he found a way to fix it he made us strong he will lead us into eternity 
Oryx, my brother, loves me, and this love is war. Uh, Jivu believes in the power of Oryx, and if Jivu's power is war, then she understands the need for leadership. Like, if she wants to continue to make war, she needs someone like Oryx who's willing to just traverse and navigate the universe in order to find it. Uh, And I think what uh, Beta says is true, that they're they're closer. The two of them are closer. And even way back in the very beginning of the Books of Sorrow when they were running around the needle ship and Savathun sort of keeps to herself and consults with the dead worm, it's... You know, it's it's Jivu and Oryx who are hanging out. Uh, Arash and what was I? I am blanking on Jivu Arash uh, uh, pre Nightmorph name. Just zero, right? Jio, yeah, or zero. Yeah. So, yeah, they do seem a little bit closer to each other. So, and I have to wonder. Like, I wonder now. So, obviously, Savathun is going to figure out that Jivu Arash brought back Oryx. So. Jivu and Savathun betrayed Oryx, and then Jivu betrayed Savathun to bring back Oryx. <laughs> There's a strange way of showing their love. So, next uh, verse. Verse 4 6, Eater of Hope. You guys are dads, you can read one of these. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any boys. Someone with a, someone with a son, read it. <laughs> <laughs> you are Grota, my son. Welcome. <laughs> All right, someone else. I don't else think, this, I don't think this. this is the voice you used. <laughs> <laughs> well, so okay, so fine, fine. No, what I, 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 I can read it. I can read it. Go. Sorry, I've just I been listening to it. <laughs> uh, Eater of hope, right? Yes, yes. All right, you are Crota, my son. Welcome. I fought my way out of hell to make you. I fought my traitor siblings, and I fought the swarming corpse of Aka, and I cut my way back into my own court, the high war, which had been usurped. Usurped. Once I had made war on Savathun and crippled her tribute so that she could never challenge me, and once I had tricked Zyvuarath and poisoned her tribute so that she could never again try to make... try to take my tablets, and once I had arranged my own lineage so that I would be the greatest among the hive and secure my throne, and secure on my throne, then I found a mother to make spawn. One of those spawn was you. Your life will be a battle too. You will have to win your place at the high war. I will give you nothing except this, your first sword, and this name I have prepared for you. All right, so let's stop there. So, uh, go. Those that first section, it it seems like, to me like a lot of time actually passes there because he's describing a lot of things. So we know that Shivu brings him back, um, but then the first interesting thing is the swarming corpses of Akka, which is just interesting because Akka's the god he cut up. Yeah. Um, so it's like. I think we asked this question last Books of Sorrow episode, you know, is it possible that Akka is still alive in some fashion or still holds some form of power? And and this, that's literally the entire line. It doesn't really tell us anything, but it's interesting. Um, well, and, and the swarming implies that, you know, there's 
lots of, you know, little baby worms who have taken up residence in his corpse, you know, kind of in the, when we first meet the great worms, the very beginning, they say something very similar. They say, behold, uh, I can't remember the exact, the exact same line, but it's the, you know, the, they're, they're basically like a worm larva all over them. Yeah. That's kind of, that's the, the feeling you get when you read it. And so there's this, when you really picture the great worms and how they're described, there seems to be, um, oh yeah, hiving cities, symbiotic with my flesh is how that's described. And so you've got this image of, yeah, there's these big worms, but they're also riddled with, um, potentially, you know, their own spawn who are living off of them and feeding within them. And it's, you know, there's, there's a, a cross symbiosis happening with their own spawn. Um, and apparently that continues after death. You know, once Akka has been killed, they, those worms hang out. They're still there. Yeah. You can shoot them on the dreadnought. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're, they're crawling around all kinds of weird little places. Yeah. So then what's interesting is it says, you know, he cut his way back into his own court, the high war, which had been usurped. So I think I alluded to this earlier that, you know, it's possible his throne was actually taken. Um, by Savathun or one of them, and this kind of points towards that, that his even his court was taken, not capital T taken, but yeah. lowercase t. Um, and then I love these next two lines. So Savathun, obviously, he's mad at, so he cripples her tribute. Um, but then I love how, so Shivu's the one who brought him back, but being a good hive god, he doesn't care. So he then tricks Shivu and poisons all her tribute. Well, it's also, to me, I like this because, you know, it says, I had tricked Jivu Wrath, so Oryx had used sort of cunning and cleverness against Jivu, and then had crippled Savathun's tribute, presumably using war against Savathun. Yeah. So he, like, he used their aspects, like, their opposite aspects against them. Uh. The, the beginning and the end of this paragraph are interesting to me. It says, I fought my way out of hell to make you, but it was Jivu who described him to bring him back. So, I mean, I guess we don't know if it's happening in parallel, like he's fighting to get out of the deep while Jivu is describing him, uh, or if he's unaware that Jivu did and he, he believes that he fought his way back 100%. Um, and then the end, which I can see that dragon has highlighted here uh i found a mother to make spawn we we have never met this being uh i do not think this is in reference to omnigul at all because i think omnigul very clearly was designed to create the spawns of crota uh somewhere out there there is an unbelievably powerful mother morph hive mother morph hive uh who created the spawn of Oryx. Uh, this is a being we've never encountered. Could potentially be Nocris, right? Oh, also, there we go. Could be Nocris. Maybe Nocris is the mother. So, and like this, so I, again, I will give you nothing. We know this is sort of like fatherly logic superseding darkness logic where the darkness gives nothing uh you know oryx oryx has to give crota something so 
gives him the name Eater of Hope and, and gives him the sword. And that's kind of charming. I'm gonna <laughs> My little boy, here's your first sword. Like under a Chris under a Christmas tree. We also get here kind of a little kind of clarity on kind of the current objective, you could say, for Oryx. Um, we know starting off it was just to you know, to remain to existing pretty much and to save their race and their species. And now it's you know, we chase a god called the Traveler, and that that's kind of their you know, almost their objective right now in uh, in uh, finding this final shape, but they're chasing this false hope in this war. So you get a little a little clarity there, I think. Which well, this which is, is why to me this will go more into next week's episode, but why I tend to theorize that our collapse had something to do with Oryx because it feels odd that their whole objective would be to chase the traveler and they'd be late to the party. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's next week. <laughs> and I, I like this line too, because, you know, again, this is a different perspective on the traveler than we're ever given in game where, you know, and we explored this in Rasputin one a little bit where, you know, this pseudo altruistic motivation, like make it look like the traveler acted of its own benevolent accord. Uh, but here we have a, a huckster God who baits young life into building houses for it. So it sort of gives this idea that these golden ages that are experienced by the races that the traveler touches, they're not for the benefit of those races. They're for the benefit of the traveler. Uh, the traveler needs somewhere safe to hide from the hive. So it finds a civilization that it knows it can ascend. So they will then protect it rather than doing it for the good of that civilization. Presumably knowing that the hive will soon follow and destroy that civilization. The, you know, these, these civilizations are temporary roadblocks uh, right. that the traveler is just running. Like, okay, I'm here. Here's this awesome cadeometric technology. Have fun. Oh, by the way, there's some really bad dudes chasing me. I'm out of here. Please slow them down as much as you can. Well, and, and it kind of <laughs> goes into the whole dead orbit ideas because it makes you wonder, you know, if the traveler had never bothered to show up, obviously Oryx will take over the, wants to take over the whole universe at some point. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of the dead orbit of like, you know, maybe if we just leave, but leave the traveler here, they'll stop chasing us because they're not after us. They're after the traveler. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then just, you know, like you said, we'll talk about this more next week, but just, you know, I found it interesting and kind of odd that Oryx kind of stops so far away from Earth. If, if he's chasing the Traveler, why would he stay so far away if it wasn't maybe some already existing knowledge of Rasputin and Rasputin. what Rasputin's capable of? <laughs> so I, I just didn't, that never really made any sense to me before I kind of, I talked to Beta and we kind of, he kind of shared his thoughts on it. So I was like, that, that kind of makes sense. But yeah, that's next and, week. And yeah, don't worry, <laughs> listeners. Next week's entire episode is basically the collapse. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good, this line here at the end too is, uh, there is an oath upon me, Crota, my son, an oath against the wretched Taox. This I do not give to you. This is for me, your father to bear. So this is like a millennia later and Taox is still on Oryx's mind. Like this one act of betrayal that happened way back in the very first card, <laughs> you know, the first verse of the Books of Sorrow, you know, the first, I think the first three, this whole thing is outlined. 
you know, we've, they've come so far since then, but this oath weighs on Oryx still, uh, and he will not give it to anyone else. It is his goal, his mission. This is something he needs to fulfill. I mean, he drove a knife through his hand into the mast of a boat. That's a, that's a pretty <laughs> serious oath. <laughs> Ouch. And, and we denied it for him by killing him. <laughs> yes, we did. Or did we? Did we? Did we? Did we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uncles. This is so. I mean, aunts and uncles. Uh, like, would that technically be the spawn of Jivu Arath and Savathun, or would that could that only be? <laughs> Sabathun yeah. and Jivorath. Yeah, and to those of you listening who have no clue what we're saying, <laughs> the last oh. line is, let's go meet your aunts and uncles, which Dragon then highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I found it interesting because you know, aunts and uncles would be brothers and sisters of Oryx, and we know his, his yeah. sisters, but we don't know any brothers of Oryx. I'll, I'll just chalk it up to incorrect Hive translation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that the new Deus Ex Or, <laughs> or Nocris. Or Nocris. I, yeah. I like that Nocris plays like four different roles so far in this. Nocris is the uncle that we don't talk about. <laughs> your mother's brother's every, cousin's former Every roommate. family has one of those uncles, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh Okay, so here, I mean, we have this is the birth of Crota. This is Crota being introduced uh, in into the Hive pantheon, uh, the son of Oryx, the eater of hope. And then four seven, we are introduced to two more. So this is verse four seven, shapes and points. Uh, look at you, Joe Beta. Should I let you read this because you have daughters? <laughs> sure. <laughs> look at you. Already you are grown, my daughter. Already you are a wizard. Have I been away so long? Now you are ear a nuke, and Savathun cackles and rages at your brilliance. You have written eleven axioms describing the ascendant places, our throne world. You have announced that you will kill one of these axioms, as Akka would kill the truth, and in man- mantling Akka you will become a god as I am. If you try it, I may kill you. Or I may applaud. Well done. I brought you this bitter acid for your celebration. <laughs> so stopping there. Um, yeah, so, what's interesting so this is, that, is yeah, that whole axiom thing where it's like she's describing the ascendant plane, but then decides that one of those truths she wants to make a lie. Mm-hmm. Yes. <clears throat> Which so, and this is Ir Anuk, the weaver. Mm-hmm. And after, after reading these cards, I was... I was a little disappointed in how their mechanics were in the raid, just because reading the like the books of sorrow, these sisters are a hundred times what Crota was in my mind. Oh yeah, and oh yeah. Then the fact that you know doing that part in the the King's Fall raid is one of the easier parts of that raid, if as long as you have a good platform jumper. Yeah. And so I was kind of disappointed in that just because this card just specifically describes them as being very powerful, very smart, very dangerous beings. Right. I mean, she basically, yeah. you know, has Oracle abilities here. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's, let's finish out this entry and then we'll talk about uh, Ir Anuk and Ir Halak and the insane powers they have. Okay. <laughs> so going on. And you, Ir Halak, you are a wizard too, as in the way of twins. 
I have been with Shiva Arath, who complains that you have made a song and sung it in her throne world and killed everyone who listened <laughs> <laughs> quite irrevocably. <laughs> will, will we have songs instead of swords and boomers? What have you made for me? It is a tooth shaped like death. I will keep it in my mouth. Wait, what have you written for me? It is the course of the Nisha thought ship. I will track it down. I made you by cutting one larva in half. It would not die. Each half grew into one of you. My sword is named Willbreaker, but it will, but it never broke you. So here we have the other daughter. And then if you dive into the grimoire for these two, uh, we get a little further explanation. Uh, so for Irhalak, uh, it is, Oryx was dividing the spawn. He cut, up, he cut apart the larva with his sword and the two divided pieces grew into twins. She who stands ahead at the prow of the ship of Oryx, her father. She is Irhalak, the unraveler. She plies her blades upon the fabric of space, cuts the seams, pulls apart the cloth, and leaves worlds in tatters. And then the second entry for Ir Anuk is, behind the unraveler comes Ir Anuk, the weaver. She takes in hand the threads of her sister's work, weaves them into the tapestry of Oryx's realm. Listen, Anuk, Anuk who favors bitter things. Of the eleven axioms, choose one. Of the chosen, spare none. Upon Ear's attendants say, come, Ayer, look, this truth is dead. So I love this vision of the dreadnought cutting through space with uh ear halak in the front like unraveling reality it's like a zipper going through space <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then in the back ear anuk takes those despondent threads and creates like this tapestry of hive space behind them like it's they're rewriting the universe mm-hmm. as they go it's like that power is incredible yeah. it almost looks like a perfect defense in, the, in that you know ear halak makes it impossible for anyone to discover them because all space and time in that era is destroyed. And then Anu kind of just creates whatever she wants. And it's like, how do you track that? How do you find that and invade that space, yeah. <laughs> which is just created at the, in that instant. <laughs> so what's interesting. So it talks about Shiva Arath and how Irhalak basically decimated her throne world (laughs) it makes me wonder like how large the armies of these remaining sisters are at this point because we know that oryx already used war against savathun and then oryx's daughter has done a disservice to shivu so it makes me wonder assuming we do encounter these sisters later in game like what types of armies will they even hold at this point Mm -hmm. this is kind of cool too because it kind of this is almost like I mean, this seems to me like the creation of the the death song that you know the death singer sings that Tolan learns and you know this this even yeah. seems like it's new to Oryx like you know what is this song like what have you written you know what have you mm-hmm. made and so that's I think that's pretty right. pretty cool and and because it, it makes me think I don't want to go too much back into Vex here but it it makes me think so much of oracles because Oryx even says. You know, will we have songs instead of swords and boomers? You know, he's kind of pondering if this death song will become a more effective weapon than anything they've used up to now. And you immediately just think of the Vex. Um, obviously, there's, you know, boomers and other things, but it's not like the Oracle shoot at you. 
Mm-hmm. They just make a nice musical pitch and then that's all they need yeah. and they can kill you. So it's like at some point the Vex with that kind of same mentality that they find that this quote unquote death song is the most effective weapon. So I remember during the Vault of Glass days, you know, people would take the notes that those oracles would put out and try to like figure out, you know, a puzzle or something like that. And I wonder mm-hmm. if going looking at it now, if there might be a connection to you know, the oryx and the worms or something like that, that we maybe just didn't know oh. at that time. Right, because we're not to Vex yet in the Books of Sorrow, but yeah. it does make you wonder if the idea, you know, which is oracles came from Vex interactions with the hive. Mm-hmm. So back, back to the uh, sisters. Yeah, that's like, yeah. Is, so we know in, in King's Fall Raid, we, we kill them aboard in oryx's, you know, throne world upon the Dreadnought. What we know on uh, how like the the throne worlds work, if I mean, is a death in Oryx's throne world the same as a death in their own throne world? You know, could they still exist, or do they even have? Yeah, and do we have any evidence that they have their own throne world at mm-hmm, this point? Exactly. Well, I would imagine they do if Crota does. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems to be that uh, a death in a throne world equals an irrevocable death, you know, regardless of who the owner of the throne world is, you know, and, and obviously except um, for Shivu. Yeah. But, we, we know when it, when a person is described in their totality, you know, mystically they, they come back like Sabathun and, and Jivu, but, um, but yeah, regardless of the owner, it seems to be that if you're in the ascendant plane and you die, that's it. So as far right. as we know now from the story, then they are permanently permadead. Yeah. Just, just like Croder. Unless, Unless somebody comes along and describes them in their totality. I hope Savathun describes them. I hope Toland Ooh. does. There's... Toland was... You know, we know Toland was there. Mm-hmm. Toland watched everything happen. Well, and we know Toland likes that song that she sings, too. Very much so. It does indeed. But Toland is very concerned with the power vacuum created mm-hmm. by the loss of Oryx. It's not beyond Toland logic to fill that void by bringing... Describing somebody who could do it. Be that the daughters or uh, Oryx himself. I have to imagine Osiris would not be happy if that happened. Uh, so yeah, so this is so now we have the introduction of Crota, Oryx's son, and now the introduction of the two daughters. And uh, there's other lore spread through here. You know, they talk about you know they refer to your uh, Anuk as the Weaver. We know that. Uh, their weapon is the black spindle and the description on the black spindle very much describes how a hammer is appropriate for crota but with the delicate nature of making and unmaking you need something a little bit more uh precise civilized civilized yeah so civilized or precise which is the spindle so that's where the black spindle comes from This this next verse going into it is, is I like this one a lot, so I'm gonna jump up and, and read this one. Which do it. Um so it starts off, you know, we already got reference to Oryx having wings, but here we get I guess where it comes and it says, you know, one day Oryx decided to grow new wings. And then that's it. <laughs> so I guess he had <laughs> Hey, he I'd had like wings. New wings. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, uh, so while he wrestled with his worm, he came upon his twin daughters dying in a wound between places. What are you doing, my daughters? He asked. He was afraid that Urhalak and Urhanuk Anuk were trying to go into the deep where only the tablets of ruin allowed Oryx to go. 
We are dying, Father, they said, as many times as we can manage. That's adorably precocious. Oryx shook out his new wings. But why? We propose a method by which ascendant souls can be detached and integrated into a tautological and autonomous atmosphere. Tatanosphere. Which we tentatively term an oversoul. Oversouls can be stored in a throne world as a mechanism of enhanced death resilience. As a side effect, new reinforcements to our death song may be achieved, moving us closer to a generally effective paracasual death impulse. So I'll go ahead and stop there. Imagine her pushing up her glasses as she's saying. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> These are like the, the nerds of the hive world. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm imagining any one of you knocking on the door to your daughter's room and being like, oh, what are you doing, dears? Oh, we're dying over and over. As many times as we can manage. <laughs> and the, like that, even his line there is like that's that's adorably precocious, which is you know just means you know gifted and mature, advanced, and yeah. so it's like it's like okay, well this is makes sense, but why? <laughs> so yeah, this is the the we discovered the birth of the oversoul, uh-huh. the concept of the oversoul, which is really cool. Uh, you know, I have. Tautological highlighted here. And if you're familiar with a, a tautology or a, a, a tautological argument, it, it means a, a bunch of different things depending on your school of logic. Uh, but generally, it refers to a formula that is true in every possible interpretation. Uh, sometimes that's achieved through like uh, being logically irrefutable based on the assertion of a thing by different terms. Uh, so like basically it's an, an inarguable thing. It makes sense. Uh, so, and it's also like a strict form of, of consequence where each preceding line of the argument proves the one that came before it. Yeah. So it creates sort of like a, an unbreakable circle of proof, which again makes a lot of sense here when it describing the, an autonomous thetanosphere, which literally means death realm. <laughs> can, I, bring, can I read the next? I love the next line where Oryx brandished his sword. Speak the royal tongue or I'll pin you up for ear to eat. Uh, <laughs> if we separate our deaths from ourselves and hide them, we will be hard to kill. So it's almost like he's like, stop speaking gibberish <laughs> and just tell me what you're doing. And and one other thing I love about this is that they're, the royal tongue right is this incredibly relaxed casual uh form of speaking which is exactly how the darkness spoke so you know it, they're they're yes. t- incorporating that into their their culture formally right it's it's really yeah. a, a, a interesting insight mm-hmm. i think it's and interesting I, and I do yeah. love the simple explanations yeah, yeah. all of that is saying <laughs> okay if we yeah. separate our death from ourselves and then we hide that death will be harder to kill. Yeah, that would have been much easier for me to read than the first part. <laughs> but well, we encountered and we encountered this in a lot of death singers. Uh, you know, the three the three death singers that you fight in the court of Oryx. Uh, in their grimoire card, it explains that they they each hid their deaths in one another, which is why you have to kill all three of them quickly because if one is left alive, it is hiding the death of another one, meaning that one can come back to life. Uh, and it sort of explains the mechanic both lore-wise and in the game. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also kind of interesting that both now that this is, you know, two things that these sisters have created that Oryx took as, you know, his defense, his power. You know, we know, you know, Oryx Akrota had the oversoul in his realm where mm-hmm. he got close to death. Then, you know, out comes this oversoul to basically keep him alive. And then we know that he had the death singer that would sing the song and kill everyone you know in his realm as well so it kind of it's kind of interesting that you know if he took those for his own if you know, the sisters gave him the little crota to help him out because they knew he wasn't <laughs> quite as powerful <laughs> yeah cause, well because the next line says orcs went to his son crota go keep an eye on your sisters he said so so orcs very much was sending crota their way Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he also says you can learn cunning from them. Uh, and cunning is very much the definition of Sabathun. Yeah. And this this next line is what well, opens up a uh, next big section almost. But it says, uh, while yes. Oryx traveled to observe the deep, destroy an ancient fortress world. Which I think that itself, that itself is. Yeah, that itself is, is interesting. Yeah, you can discuss that because the fact that he can observe the deep destroying another world like it's I mean that's pretty pretty telling that you know the deep isn't oryx the deep isn't the worm it's It's a person or an entity or Mm -hmm. something also fortress world I just think forerunner shield world (laughs) yep totally (laughs) Dyson sphere so the they already defeated the ecumene which then went and hid in an ancient fortress world (laughs) called a shield world and then the deep (laughs) found them yeah but yeah, so that's just evidence of you know the deep acting on on the, its own accord, and you know though which Oryx, is even more terrifying to think exactly. You know, or we've already fought Oryx in game. But the deep might just get bored one day and show up at our doorstep as well. <laughs> well, and that's that's potential. I mean, we we always say that the collapse was, uh, you know, all these armies and you know, but there's the darkness was a very real part of that. So. Yeah, maybe the deep got there first. Yeah. So, uh, so Oryx, while Oryx traveled to observe the deep, destroy an ancient fortress world, Crota conspired with his sisters to learn their secrets. I too will experiment with a wound, he said. With his sword, Crota cut open a new wound into a new space. In here, he thought he might obtain a secret power. <laughs> Out of this wound came machines called Vex. They invaded Oryx's throne world. So, there so you have it. before we continue, <laughs> we're currently about an hour and 45 minutes. I'm probably done very soon, okay. but I'm going to leave it up to you guys if you want to push through all the Vex stuff, or if we're going to save that for part four. Uh, there, there's enough of us that if I jump off, I'm, you, know, you certainly can do it, but I will leave it up to you. There's quite a bit uh, left. What, do you want it? Yeah. Leave, I mean, we could always leave do, the giant we, we, cliffhanger. We always... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this next card, this next entry is like really deep. It goes into a lot of stuff. I mean, we could end it on the cliffhanger of set your house in order. Uh, I'm good with, I'm which good is really funny because that means that means we will start the next episode with Oryx rushed home and read from the Tablets of Ruin, <laughs> uh, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, I'm, but yeah, I'm we, we could we could yeah. Let's do a four four yeah. nine, and then we'll pick it up at four ten. 
Yeah, that's, that's right, that's listeners. Good. We're gonna have a part four. <laughs> I, I, people, I think people anticipated. I think that I, when I was yeah, talking, I predicted it a while ago. So I think, <laughs> and even going, and there might even be a part five. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah, yeah. So just finishing up four eight. So yeah, or or Crota tries to be his sisters and learn these new secret powers, and instead brings the Vex into Oryx's throne world. I picture him like this little like selfish <laughs> five-year-old like i can do it too you know yep. and he slices up and it's like oh no what did what, i do my, my image of crota is will always be tainted because of that video that was made i think it was even before taken king actually dropped but it's just when all the previews yeah. were coming out and it was like the the father son little cartoon <laughs> clip where yep. it shows yep, oryx yeah. watching his son crota grow up and all this and it was like <laughs> that is how i will forever remember crota <laughs> Yeah, and then I put that here in the notes. But like, this is our first our first hint that Crota may be a special, special child, child. <laughs> and not the sharpest sword in the abyss. Uh, and I get that feeling all throughout uh, this as we move forward. That don't like we've always known Orc. I mean, Crota as this like ruthless ascendant slayer of a million guardians, like dominator of the moon. But he's really like like the youngest boy of oryx and is doing like little boy things all the time so, well and the so, um the grimoire card for thalnok even kind of kind of um implies that a little bit too because oryx is like yep. you're what my son should have been but you're a little bit he still he still doesn't approve of thalnok but there's a sense of crota wasn't quite enough yeah which is unfortunate but hey when you're when you're taking larva and cutting them up with your sword and hoping good things come out of it, you know, some come up aces with your daughters and some not so much with your sons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so here we are. Uh, this is the meeting, and and in this card we also discover that the Vex have been around for way longer than. I mean, we obviously oh the ruins on Venus predate humanity by billions of years. Thanks, Ghost. Uh, but. Not only have the Vex been around for a very, very, very long time, that they went up against the Hive very early on, uh, before we are ever even close to being on the scene. So, well, and it, it's hard to say when Vex came around. You know, I mean, there there really is no win with the Vex because yeah. they they can kind of go whenever they want at any time. So true. Uh, so let's do uh, verse four nine. Open your eye, go into it. Uh, and I love this card because it gives very interesting descriptions of how the Vex operate. <clears throat> the Vex clattered around, constructing large problems. At first, their constructions were deranged because they didn't understand the sword logic, which defined all the rules in Oryx's throne world. The geometry perplexed them. I'll cut them apart, Crota said, but just then, the Vex ritual of better thoughts manifested a mind called Kira, Blade Transform. Kira deduced the sword logic. I have to kill everything, Kira resolved, then I will be powerful. Uh, so I'll stop at that point, and uh, I have this part highlighted right here, this ritual of better thoughts, which is strange to me, <laughs> because... Ritual doesn't seem like something that would be associated with the Vex so much. It seems like just a weird name for an algorithm that they would run. You know, yeah. like, I don't know. Right. I mean, I do, but, do the Hive even have the word algorithm? 
you know, in their vocabulary. So. Yeah. I also proposed that as we're going to learn later, uh, sort of the methodologies that Kira uses, that maybe she developed or it developed the ritual of better thought and then sent it back to other instances, you know, of the hive minds in order to fuel her own creation, <laughs> uh, which creates this weird paradox of time travel, but it's not impossible given what we know about the Vex. Certainly. Uh, Crota's gate began to emit warrior Vex huge and brassy he leapt forward to fight them but they blinked away after they fled from Crota they killed 2,000 of Oryx's acolytes and 10,000 of his thrall soon they had established themselves as powers in this world by the right of slaughter stupid and minotaurs there says, this world it's referring to the throne world yeah right yes and the one thing I just wanted to point out really quick that we didn't say is and it seems like the vex when they were first encountered i don't know if you could describe them as a peaceful race but and there's definitely a distinction between the vex when they're first encountered have no concept of war right and then they learn war so it seems wherever they came from it wasn't like they were birthed into a warring you know group well in all their weapon descriptions you know their their primary function of their weapons is for construction you know they're yeah. they're repurposed for for fighting. So yeah, they're they're not primarily warriors. Yeah, like an engineering mm-hmm. race. Yeah, yeah. And this seems exactly. to be where that reengineering could have come come out of. You know, learning this sword logic and understanding. You know, I have to kill everything. Which which we makes talk, you wonder. T- with I don't want to derail into vex theories, but you know, just <laughs> actually, I'm not going to. I'm just going to shut up. <laughs> I'm not even going to say it. Keep going. We've also talked about sort of the Vex influence on Hive architecture, especially in the Oversoul Throne. I was I was running Crota's End by myself just to get a, the flawless Raider uh, trophy for myself, and I cannot help but notice everywhere I look now when I'm in the Oversoul Throne, like the the influence of the Vex on all those structures. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, so we have, you know. Very, very quickly, uh, this mind, Kira, Blade Transform, deduces the sword logic, like, almost instantly, like, mm-hmm. which I assume to be the power of the Vex, uh, and then decides, okay, time to kill everything. Like, that is how you become powerful in this sort of ontoformic reality that we've entered into. And then uh, in come Crota's sisters to try to save the day. <laughs> it says, uh, come forth, sister wizards, called Urhalak. We need you. Ur-Anuk pulled a sword star out of the sky. Together, the wizards charged it with killing power and made an annihilator totem, something else they created, which they used to smash the Vex. Close the wound, Brother Crota, Anuk ordered. We will find a cunning way to destroy them, but only after they stop constructing problems on us. Someone remind me really quick what the annihilator totems are in-game. <laughs> This is the same question you asked in chat two days ago. Right, you, you haven't okay, so, rated enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only actually run the full normal raid one time, and I've never bothered running the full arc. So, so they're, they're, but the, the Annihilator totems are in Crota's Yeah, End. they're in both. What? Oh, oh. <laughs> the big thing well, that was before I cared on. about lore. That's when I was just was being told where to stand, and I did it. <laughs> <laughs> so those are my excuses. <laughs> Yeah, you got to stand on the totems so they don't annihilate everything around you. Okay. 
uh, that was, I mean, they were a problem in Crota's end only until people learned how to clear the gap with the sword and blinking or jumping and not, never having to deal with them. But, and you only set them off in, in the King's Fall, right? If you're really doing something yeah. wrong. So do you think, or the game glitches on you? Do you think this could be why, you know, Crota's realm is so full of his sister's handiwork, you know, knowing that maybe they came to, actually came down to the space that he created and, you know, they, put in these this annihilator totem they maybe they put an oversoul there to try to help well this is this is oryx's throne world right this oh, is yeah, that's right. space this that's is right. oryx's so they're like making a mess in dad's office <laughs> in dad's office that's right <laughs> <laughs> uh but no that wouldn't surprise me though you know when when crotos decided to start like found his own throne world I'm sure he's like, okay, I, I need, need these totems. What, what, all the tricks, <laughs> yeah, the tricks my sisters have. What I need to stick those all over the place. Uh, and here we have a, a great line that starts off this next one, which is, "But Kira had instanced itself on the other side of the gate and built a hold fast to keep the way open. Kira's objective was to exploit the paracausal physics of Oryx's throne to become divine. It organized a series of test invasions." Uh, and this is where we learn about this terrifying Vex power, the ability to create multiple instances of a mind across different ends of a gate. Uh, Which means that know, anybody I, I think, that we've defeated, we can easily come back from a Vex standpoint. Yeah. So like a great, when I always, I always think of the fight against the Vex gate Lord in the missions where, you know, that gate Lord comes out of the gate the body it's assembling is just a an in- a form f- for the mind just like it's an instance of that particular program vex program running uh and there could be a hundred other instances of that same mind on the back side of that gate we don't know yeah warden halo 5 <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, this throws into question any Vex we've ever defeated, whether or not we actually really defeated it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it certainly makes the power of a of Atheon is now, like, hugely questioned. Well, and uh, this is tentative ground, but we've, according to the lore, killed him twice now, right? Once originally, and then in the, the No Time to Explain quest. Yeah. That happens later, so, you know, unless... I mean, we could rule it out as just gameplay, um, which is probably the smart thing to do. But although in that case, I tend to agree that we've it's been two different timelines. Yeah, that's true. And there's also that, any time we run out of game content, we're just going to encounter another timelines Atheon. Yeah. Well, there's also the possibility, you know, that the vault acts like a throne world for Atheon. So if he's destroyed there, you're destroying like the actual master program. That's a good point. Uh, but who knows? It's the Vex. We'll get to them at a later date. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, and here we go. You ready? For a hundred years of local time, the siblings fought the Vex. When the Vex came to the sword world, they were inevitably annihilated. But when the hive went into the Vex world, they lost too much of their power to win. Uh, I'll stop there because I hate this first line. A <laughs> hundred years of local time. <laughs> Is it's that, like they ran out of they ran out of clever is names that to call Eastern Standard. The, yeah, <laughs> is that daylight savings time or not? No DST. 
Well, and that calls uh, into but, question whether or not Throne Worlds run at the same timeline, like the same rate of time, right? I mean, they could oh, be yeah, potentially running at two different speeds. Uh, and then I made a note here that this is the stalemate's interesting because, you know, we never encounter the Vex really in an arena where they're drained of their power. Like, we pretty much always just fight, I mean, the Hive. We always just fight the Hive either on like a neutral ground where they're the hive and they're powerful or we fight them in their throne worlds or in the, the ascendant realm where they're incredibly powerful. We've never seen or entered into a realm where the hive are so weakened that they can't even basically fight against an opponent. Which gives me a lot of hope against the Vex because if we're handing it to the hive in their own throne worlds, the Vex don't seem like they'll pose much of a threat. (laughs) We'll see. Well, what is the, we don't even know what the Vex world is. Right. But I'm just saying, if the Vex couldn't beat the Hive in their own throne worlds, and we can. Right, but if the Vex worlds can nullify paracausality, like the sword logic, they can nullify, potentially nullify us too. Oracles. <laughs> I'll just keep dropping that word every time. Yeah, that, that phrase Vex world is very interesting because I think I've always taken it to just assume like the normal, like our like, world. Yeah, our but, world. But, that's, but that might not be the case. Maybe Crota maybe. literally cut into the vault. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the vault. Doubtful, though. Actually, that uh, that's there's obviously no evidence at all of the hive being in there, but just imagining hive going in there and then dying to oracles and then Vex going into the like it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, like Gorg- Gorgon's battling. Yeah, Gorgon's hive. battling hive and vice versa. <laughs> the Vex, the Vex invade and they get killed by the annihilator totems, so they attack in reverse, and the oracles wipe them out of existence. <laughs> It just keeps going back and forth that way. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, Father's going to eat our souls, Halak side. So this is this is one of the best line, the best paragraphs, and this gives us so much uh, insight and interesting aspects to the world as we currently know it and the vex that we encounter. Uh, so Kira captured some worm larvae and began experimenting with them. Soon, Kura Blade Transform manifested religious tactics. By directing worship at the worms, Kura learned it could alter reality with mild ontopathogenic effects. Being an efficient machine, Kura manufactured a priesthood and ordered all its subbinds to believe in worship, then set about abducting and killing dangerous organisms so it could bootstrap itself to hive godhood. For some vex reason, Kira never attempted to introduce worm larvae into its mind fluid. Uh, this is awesome. This, when I think in the vanilla story, when we encounter the vex, especially in the Black Garden, uh, and they're worshipping that gigantic blight, or if you get a public event and you wonder why vex are sacrificing themselves, like why do machines sacrifice themselves What possible uh, this is why. This is why right here, uh, that these Vex are disciples of Kira, and Kira learned that by directing worship at the worms, like you could generate these these paracausal abilities. Uh these ontopathogenic effects. So yeah. it seems that And yeah, I, I just I was running uh Black Garden yesterday to get my last ghost. And yeah, it is very interesting towards the end just the worship and yeah it's 
and and yeah, along with the Vault of Glass, I kind of think that as well when I think of X World, because I yeah. I hadn't really remembered, but running the Black Garden, I mean that entire location is Vex, like everything in there other than maybe the flowers has Vex architecture. It's nothing but Vex architecture the entire place, yeah. except for that big fat rock right out in the distance, but that's it. The devil's post pile <laughs> there inside yeah. of the volcano. Yeah. And so, yeah, sometimes when I think Vex world, I also kind of think that. But yeah, there's definitely worship going on. Yeah, so this, and it's, I like this because, you know, you have a, com- not a completely synthetic race, but you do have a much like a much more inorganic based culture like the Vex versus the Hive. And, you know, for the most part, these are machines worshiping these worms and able to derive very similar effects that the Hive get from these worms. Uh, So the worms don't really care who's worshiping them uh, as long as something is worshiping them. It it is Uh, interesting that Coria only you know sends this information to this its submines and not the mind fluid um do you have any theories on why Coria did that because you would think if you know the all vex kind of had this information I, it would have I made them more powerful and it's possible if Coria deduced the sword logic it very quickly deduced the worm's true you know purpose yeah, or motives. Yeah. The other thing I just thought of is, you know, just Vex milk in general. It always talks about, you know, don't go anywhere near Vex stuff. It'll corrupt, you know, it can corrupt your mind and mess with you and all. So it seems like Vex tech and Vex milk and things in general already have these kind of crazy powers. So. Yeah. Well, well and there's, we learned, I mean, there's also the possibility that the worms themselves never gave the Vex those thoughts or don't have the capacity to give the Vex those thoughts, you know, because every time we've seen a worm inhabit a host up till now, it's been the worm, you know, convincing, talking, uh, influencing the, the host to do so. And maybe, maybe the, the way that the Vex composition, it, you know, their biology, that mind fluid, either can't communicate uh, with the worms or the worms are staying away for some reason, purposely. Well, the worms could also have nothing to offer the Vex. Like the the worms had to convince the three sisters, like, hey, we can offer you this path to vengeance. You know, uh, we can offer you these great powers, not sort of informing them explicitly about like the devil's trade-off there in the background. Uh but the worms very much could have had nothing to offer the Vex. Right. If they had said uh, something like, well, we'll give you power and the Vex simply say, well, we don't need to eat you for that. You know, yeah. we're worshiping you and already they, and you're already giving us power. Well, and, uh, well, and they could very much, they don't care. They could say, cause they only care about the pattern. And if somehow, you know, becoming symbiotic with the worm does not help them complete the pattern then it's of no use. And, and uh, the, um, conversely to that, perhaps the Vex have nothing to offer the worms, right? I mean, maybe their biology is not compatible with symbiosis. And they can, the worms can gain yeah. nothing from that. So, yeah, I like. I mean, I like. I like to imagine that the Vex are smart enough to know that the worms have like disaster. Introducing them to the mind fluid could be disastrous to their species. 
So they'll extract what power they can from them without having to to play that part of the bargain. Uh, but all in all, it's you know I like to think that you know a lot of the I want to we have if this is all true and if we're the vex that we encounter a lot of the vex we encounter you know maybe not so much in the vault of glass, uh, even though they sacrifice themselves there too. There's a possibility that we have yet to encounter real real vex like vex who are not affected by this subroutine uh of worship like what is you know what are the vex removed from this like the pure sort of like engineering non-stop construction of large problems vex that the hive originally encountered we haven't met those vex yet uh so it, it opens up as there's a whole other existence of the vex that we haven't encountered as guardians that could be you know, we've we've discovered this sliver mm-hmm. that once interacted with the hive, like quote unquote, what are pure vex like? Will we just get like marched over by these things? Who knows? Yeah. yeah, and so up to this point, it was pretty much you could almost say it was Oryx's fault for sending Crota to learn from his sister and then Crota going off his on his own to learn some special powers. But then here we're told that that may not have been, you know, the, the whole story. And uh, it says, Savathun was laughing because she had tricked Crota into cutting that space, or into cutting that place. So here we see that it was Savathun's doing the whole time. Yeah. So does this mean Savathun knew that the Vex existed? That's a very good question. Savathun or she... seems to know a lot of things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's, she's on the inside. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so yeah this is fascinating yeah it was, this is all sabathun's doing right i i was just thinking i scrolled back up and there's that line where it says you know sabathun cackles at uh era nook's brilliance so maybe she you know she purposely kind of was taking oryx's daughters under her tutelage slightly mm-hmm. remember oryx said yeah. he could crota could learn cunning from them so clearly they were getting some cunning from somewhere Yeah. yeah uh, and they even, I think they even mentioned that, uh, the, the daughters mentioned that they will use sort of like cunning and trickery to defeat the Vex because Crota's sword's just not cutting it. Yeah, we will find a cunning way to destroy them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it seems like Savathun has a, a big influence on them. So, and then the last line of this entry is, this drew the attention of the worm, our god. Oryx said a year. Set your house in order. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Uh, yeah. So it's up to this point, we haven't had a lot of direct interaction from the worm gods themselves. You know, at the very beginning, obviously, they're major characters. They imbue uh, Arash and his sisters with this power. They're chasing the traveler. They're They're egging the hive on. And then they slowly start to fade into the background a little bit. We don't hear a lot from them uh whether they're like in shock because oryx is able to kill akka and maybe they don't want to push oryx to kill them too uh or whether or not they're just letting the chaos unfurl like they're happy with the work that oryx is doing so they don't feel a need to directly become involved uh well there's a reference to um one of the sisters you know the um Ear a nuke when she's uh, annihilating one of her 
axioms, you know, basically proving herself to ear. You know, there's there's a reference to yeah. the fact that that she's uh, she's going before the worms at some point, and so there's there's a sense that they're you know off in the background, just kind of there, you know, and potentially there's there's you know maybe there's rituals or maybe they, they people go to them every now and then, but not directly involved, but there. Yeah. I mean, they're too powerful to just sort of not be there. So, uh, but yeah, so now they're, they're, they're stepping in directly. I wonder if this is because make, maybe the worm gods understand the Vex pose a serious threat. Uh, and that, you know, they need Oryx to get his act together. Uh, because now we have a threat that's, but see, that's, I mean, it's interesting to me because how could they not have been aware that Savathun was doing this thing? Mm-hmm. Like if, if Savathun's like, haha, I'm going to trick Crota into slicing into a, a space where the Vex can now invade. And if they were a real threat to the worm gods, wouldn't the worm gods go, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe uh, they did, the worm gods didn't know. Maybe this is something Savathun learned just on her own. So that, but that poses like an incredible question. Is Savathun so cunning that she can deceive the worms, her God? Mm. Like, is she that good now? That possible. she can pull one over I, I have, on even... I have a pretty, or a very spinfoil theory on Savathun, but we won't cover that. We can do that when we go through our... <laughs> crazy idea and theories episode but <laughs> you know, it's to the point where i i feel sabathun may be able to even trick oryx on her true nature type of thing so but we'll cover that another hmm. time but, but yeah um i think i think it's interesting though that you know where earlier on you know we see oryx observe the deep you know destroy a you know the civilization but we never see, observe the the worms actually like taking action really against anything it's always just through you know words and you know they'll come out and say set your house in order but it's never we're gonna come set your house in order type of thing i think that's that's kind of interesting just on again taking a look at what then almost on their nature and what they do and well if you look at their you know their um modus operandi you know they're their whole plot, the larger view of what they do is they use other species. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're using Oryx and, and Sabathun and Ziva, right? They're using them to gain power. You know, their, their worm symbiotes are growing they're gaining power. They have, it's not in it for the sisters at all. It's totally, totally using the hive. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's just what they do. They, they're not direct interactors. They're manipulators. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting to me because it seems like at this point the worm gods wouldn't have any authority over Oryx. Uh, like Oryx at this point, like if the if the power structure is like the deep, the worm gods, and then Oryx, Savathun, and Jivu Arath, that Oryx he cut out when he took out Akka, he cut literally cut out the middleman. Uh, and now Oryx communes directly with the deep. Like, why is he taking orders from the yeah, worm gods? I see it more like kind of back to the last. My last point was like there doesn't seem to be any 
I don't know if aggression is the right word, but there's not really, it's not like a, it doesn't sound like a threat to me, but more like, you know, if, if my brother was screwing up, like I might go to like, you know, get oh, your yeah. life in order, like get, do what you're supposed <laughs> to do kind of thing. And that's kind of the thing it, to me, what I see, it's not like a, I don't really see this as a threat as more of a, you know, a warrant, like not, not even a warning, but just, you know, advice and you're trying to do what you're supposed to do, get your house in order for well, all of our if, sakes. <laughs> yeah. And, and even if it's only symbolic, mm-hmm. we know that the hive still very much value their lineage according to whichever, you know, line of worms that they're, they're symbiotes of because they're, you know, the names of the different families of hive are all tied to the names of the worm, the worm gods. So um, even if the worms no longer have power, if it's symbolic, they're still very much valued in hive mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We're, it's, so we're, we're actually going to, we're going to cut the episode here. So if all of you who predicted books of sorrow, episode four, you were correct. <laughs> uh, we're going to, we're going to stop here and we're going to see if, if Oryx King get his house in order. Uh, there's still a lot of books of sorrow to cover. Uh, we still have the, the five verses to get into uh, sort of like chapter. If you consider like a chapter, chapter four is a pretty long chapter for uh, the books of sorrow. Yeah, we didn't get all the way through it either. <laughs> I know, but, but we're, well, we're, yeah. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but then, yeah, we, ha- we have, there's a lot to get into moving forward from here. The story starts to escalate very quickly. Uh, but a lot of good stuff still coming up and a lot of good stuff sort of covered uh, in this episode, you know, starting off from uh, where Oryx putting putting the hive in some kind of like actual uh, uh, structure, power structure, making sure things were working as intended internally to being thrown into mm-hmm. disarray towards the end of it <laughs> because of his brilliant son, Crota, yeah. <laughs> uh, and the, the trickery of his sister. Always Sabbath Dune. <laughs> we should we should link that Oryx and Crota father son video in the show notes in case someone out there hasn't seen that yet, just so they can get a good oh, uh, a good yeah. image of Crota in their mind. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right, so that's going to do it for uh, for this episode of Ghost Stories. This was Books of Sorrow Part Three. Uh, I think we we lost X Ray and Beta there towards the end, but. Yeah. I'll I'll try not botch the ending here. <laughs> X ray X ray may just go and re record it himself. I'm back, I'm back. Uh, oh, oh there we go. Like, I, can't let, go. I can't let drop to the ending. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no way, it's all mine. No. I had to I had to run and, and take care of, of a baby. So uh but I, I came back and I've just been uh kinda kinda creeping on the, the ending here just listening to you guys. Um but man, this one this one is is another deep one. Gosh, what is this gonna be about? two and a half hours or close to it, but, uh, close to good to, good to kind of wrap this up to some degree. Um, and thanks everyone for, for tuning in again. It's been a blast and can't wait to, uh, to unleash some of the new stuff we're planning here in the next month or two. It's going to be, going to be some fun time. So thanks everybody. Scooby Deezy. Thanks for being here with us. Absolutely. Super special guest. Love hearing your voice. (laughs) Hopefully it'll become a more, uh, more of a common, common happening. So, uh, that's, that's so great. And handsome dragon for dropping in uh, a little late. At least he's, uh, 
least he's here better late than never, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, glad to be here. And I am, uh, can't wait to get leveled up on PS4 so I can, I can play with some of, uh, our good friends over in our fan chat, which you can join if you, uh, want to send us an email. Let us know you want to join at, uh, destinyghoststories at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at dghoststories. And, you're obviously listening to us, but we're on Podbean and on uh, on Twitter or on uh, iTunes. Leave us a, a review if you can or send us some feedback. We'd love to hear it. And that's all we got. So thanks. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.